Hi, I'm George Tekmichub here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson. Easton Podcast Milestone 150, Steve. 150? 150. Huh. 150 of these in the can. 150 and the Easton 100 is coming up. That's yeah. going to be a big thing. 100 years yeah. of business. Yeah, it's absolutely a big thing. Uh, it's the it's the milestone that a lot of companies never get to. And uh, for Easton to be still the number one archery company after 100 years is a pretty remarkable achievement. Uh, Doug Easton, Jim Easton, and now Greg Easton running the company. Uh, still a family-owned business. Uh, now in Utah, starting in California. And um, just a remarkable story of a family that has always had a huge commitment to our sport. So that's a, a pretty tremendous thing. And of course, we're going to be doing a series of specials on the hundred years of Easton uh, as we get closer to that milestone. But uh, today we're five days away in spite of what Are you say. We five? We're five days. It's five. How is it five? Five days until arrows start flying, brother. Well, you scoring, said scoring. scoring. Yeah, but I, I changed it. Oh, official out. practice is five days away. There you go. So uh, we are five days from official practice beginning in Yankton at the 2021 Hyundai World Archery Championship. And uh, it is going to be a huge event. Of course, there's also the World Cup final, which we'll talk about separately, different podcast for that one, because the World Archery Championship is you know the biggest thing in our sport compound and recurve men and women and we've got them all coming to yankton uh this week they're starting to arrive as we speak korean team uh, showed their pre-flight photo a few hours ago uh i know that we've got a number of people coming in for the congress which starts tomorrow as we record uh today is wednesday the 15th as we record of september and um you know you got world archery congress where the question of the future of the quiver may very well be decided, Steve. Um, there's that. What other one did I propose this morning? The one you proposed this morning was that no social media discussion yes. of indoor archery shall be allowed before October 1 in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, you might also say it's based... <laughs> It doesn't have to necessarily, that, that date can float. It's just, we shouldn't talk about indoor archery. We shouldn't be posting. But when I say we, I mean people on social media, anybody and everybody, not just you and I or anybody. We don't want to see, we don't, we don't want to see those 330 X practice Vegas rounds posted yes. on Instagram until after the 1st of October. Right. We just so, don't want to see it. Vegas 895 shooters, stop posting your 330x practice rounds. Exactly. Before the season. Yeah, I say exactly. October 1, it's acceptable, but don't bring that to me in, in September. Give the, right. give the people their outdoor season. Outdoor season is not even over yet. It's not over for two more weeks. Exactly. And in fact, uh, it is running right up against October 1st. Because that is the end date for the World Archery World Cup Finals. But uh, it's nice to see that we've got so many people from around the world arriving in Yankton in the next few days. And, um, you know, it's, it's going to be 
one of those events that finally we've got a combination of spectators for an event and everybody turning out. It's going to be the closest thing to a real archery event we've seen since arguably the Vegas shoot indoor that took place back in April. Have you seen the weather for Yankton? Yeah, it's kind of mixed. I like how on unofficial or official practice day, it's like 85 degrees, going to be kind of windy. And then it yep. just drops. Cold front comes in, highs yep. in the high 60s. It's going to be. I, yeah, I it's definitely going to affect. It's not packing, cold, you know. but it's not warm. It's going to seem cold after a summer of more than 100 consecutive days of over 90 something degrees for yeah. people like us, right? I mean, that's it's going to be yeah. like that for us. But uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting weather. Um, as you alluded to, it's going to be a little bit breezy on Sunday. For official practice, you are still looking at a high of 85 on Monday, but then the bottom drops out. You can have a low of 47 Fahrenheit on Wednesday of next week uh, with a high of 57 and it'll be drizzling. So yeah, it's going to be all over the board. And, uh, you know, I think that more than anything else, weather is a part of outdoor archery. You're going to get a dose of whatever kind of weather you can get when it comes yep. to this particular world championship. But, yeah, that's you know, just what it is. It, you know, I hope it's not crazy windy. I hope people are still able to I, I, what I don't want to have happen is have a, a giant wind fest and we have, you know, yeah. whatever. You know, Wednesday of next week could very well be that. You're looking at 15 mile an hour winds and gusts of upwards of 24 miles an hour um, on Wednesday of uh, next week. Uh, and, and the reason I bring up Wednesday is not just because of the nature of that particular aspect of it, but Wednesday is the day that a lot of uh, the team match stuff is going to take place. Uh, that's where all the team matches take place all the way through the semifinals. So uh, if we see any shakeups with the teams, weather could be a factor and it could be interesting uh, yeah. to say the least. You know, when we look at the entries um, and how many countries are going to be there, uh, we've got all the heavy hitters, you know, the Koreas, the USAs, and, and lots of countries that, uh, you know, we were hoping we would see, but didn't get to see much of this past season, finally making it out, uh, you know, people like uh, Croatia and uh, teams from El Salvador and teams from uh, uh, Germany, you know, full teams from India, full teams from Italy, full teams from Japan, full teams from Korea, uh, even Saudi Arabia sending uh, a pretty big team. So, you know, we're looking at some great shooting that's going to be taking place in Yankton over the uh, the two weeks of the World Championships. I'm certainly looking forward to it personally. I am looking forward to being a spectator there. Well, speaking of uh, being a spectator, you're also going to be a fan in the stands for one Linda Ochoa Anderson, who is going to be anchoring the USA team to their inevitable victory in the compound women's category along with two yeah, other great shooters. Jinx on them, George. All right. All right. I won't. But Paige Pierce and Alexis Ruiz and Linda are going to be representing Team USA, who are the Korean women of Compound. Well, the Korean women are kind of the Korean women of Compound. They're plenty good themselves. We're going to get to see An San uh, in her first appearance since winning the Tokyo Olympic Games. Here's what I'm looking forward to. It's going to be oh. potentially the last big event that we're going to get to see Oh Jin Hyuk. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking that too. Be fun to watch him. 
I personally hope he changes his mind, but I think, you know, like seeing Valentino Rossi in the last race of the MotoGP season this year, it could be the end of an era of a great shooter. And uh, I hope he, hope he goes out the way he wants to, because he's been so iconic and so strong for our sport. Uh, Ojin Hyuk, really one of the true personalities of our sport and uh, really looking forward to seeing him in action at least one more time in Yankton. It will be, it will be iconic if he pulls out a win and he very well may. It's absolutely in his wheelhouse to be able to do that. USA's team is strong, Steve. Uh, Mackenzie Brown, what can we say? She is the best shooter not to win a medal at the Tokyo Games. Full stop. I don't say full stop or let that sink in or that's the tweet, but yes. Well, to pick the latest word (laughs) that that the kids have discovered, you're just going to have to cope. Cope? I saw that popping around lately. Yeah. I it's funny. Cope. It's funny how people rediscover words. I am taking back. Uh, well, I'm not taking it back, but you know, we were talking around the office the other day about how I want to be gruntled, right? Don't you? Yeah. Are you gruntled or are you disgruntled? Right. No and one says is a... he's gruntled, but they used to, like in the 1800s. I'm he's well be... gruntled. I am gruntled right now over i don't know why i'm gruntled but as we uh, just how well this podcast has gone thus far i'm gruntled well, i'm glad i'm glad you're happy with it you yeah know, speaking of happy how about that happy. kevin i'm gruntled speaking of gruntled how about that kevin mather champion of the paralympic games we got him on the line right now hey it's my pleasure to welcome the rooster kevin mather champion of the Paralympic Games of Tokyo 2020, which happened in 2021. Kevin, it is really, really good to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty awesome today. Uh, out here in Colorado, the sun's shining, but it's not crazy hot. So yeah, I'm uh, loving life. Yeah, finally gotten to that time of year when it's not crazy hot, like you said. Um, I guess it was kind of crazy hot in Yumanoshima, though, wasn't it? It was, uh, absolutely. It's, I mean, when we were there though, it's kind of like somebody flipped the switch and it went from summer to winter, uh, within 12 hours, you know, it was 95 plus degrees. Um, that archery venue is not one that cools you off. You know, you're surrounded by concrete and so you're just kind of baking there. And then we showed up, you know, the next morning and it was like 68 degrees and uh dumping rain so and it kind of stayed that way through the rest of our time there so it was it was interesting and i didn't really bring any cool weather clothes so i just kind of you know um dealt with it but uh maybe maybe a little more planning in the future but i I had seen you know at the olympic games it was so hot and everybody was dying out there i didn't think it would uh it would be cool at all no, and you were had right. A, a much longer schedule, is that right? Trying to, I, I, I'm trying to like look at it and figure it out, but it seemed like yeah. you guys were there for a long time. A lot of waiting around to actually get to your category. Yeah, it was the way they did things. It was certainly interesting, and they um, saved recurve for last. 
you know, in the Paralympic Games, they they do have uh, they let the compounder sneak in there. But um, so the individual recurve men. So we qualified on Friday. We didn't shoot our first match until the following Friday. Um, so we just had a week of kind of hanging out, shooting practice, you know, doing whatever. Um, and then they, they closed it up with the mixed teams, but, uh, I didn't, I didn't shoot that. So I was done on Friday and just hung out, supported my teammates the next day, uh, Eric Bennett and Emma Rose Ravish and, uh, yeah. And then got on a plane and came home. (laughs) How was, uh, how was the venue? Well, just the whole thing for, for you guys, I know there's more challenges obviously, but what's it like getting over there? What's the travel timeline? You know, cause that's not an easy trek. And I imagine they had it pretty knowing, knowing how Japan is. I imagine they had it pretty well planned out. Was that the case? It was pretty good. Um, for me, I was, uh, at the Easton center in Chula Vista, you know, getting some training in before I was heading out to, uh, Tokyo and so I was there and then I took a flight to Chicago and I actually overnighted in Chicago, which was nice. I didn't, it, it kind of saved, you know, I got to sleep there and, and relax and stretch out a bit before I had to get on a plane and head to Tokyo. It was, uh, I want to say it was a 13 hour flight somewhere, 12 and a half, 13 hours, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, over to Tokyo and you know flying that way is always fun because it's like we took off at whatever four o'clock in the afternoon and I think we landed at like 4 30 in the afternoon so it was just like we just stayed <laughs> we didn't quite try time travel but it was really close um and yeah then once we got to uh the airport in Tokyo you know we had to do all the COVID sort of uh mitigation protocols um you know we had a bunch of stuff we had to do two you know get two negative tests before we could uh even get on a plane to head over there and then we had to document those and we had to have some other documentation to show them once we got to the airport and then once we were at the airport we did a uh another covid test um there so we kind of had to you know once we you know, gave them all our documents and we were good there. Then, you know, did the, uh, you know, you just spit in a vial, give that to them. And it was about, about an hour waiting around for test results. So, um, just kind of hung out, played some chess with my teammates and, uh, and then it was off to the village. So it was, it was a long day. I definitely heard, uh, worse stories from some of the Olympic team members from different sports, but, um, it was, it was pretty smooth and, and quick for us. So it wasn't, wasn't horrible at all. See that Steve Paralympians play chess compound shooters <laughs> play beer pong. <laughs> Not even checkers. <laughs> Not yeah, Checkers is too much. I mean, <laughs> Oh, that's classic. Kevin, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about your career. Uh, you know, your first archery event was, uh, going in the deep end of the pool, the 2017 World Archery Para Championship, which, uh, if I recall correctly, that was in Beijing, and uh, you won silver in the team event there. So, you know, 
coming into this sport, a lot of folks probably don't realize, but you are an accomplished athlete in other sports as well. Played high school football. You were training for a triathlon when you suffered your injury. And um, I, I think people need to realize that uh, you're not just an archer, but uh, much more than, than an archery guy, kind of like Steve is, you know, a pentathlete and uh, or a decathlete. Which one is it, Steve? Decathlete. Yeah, decathlete. Sorry about that. Yeah, you yeah, shortened yeah. me five times. There. Yeah, but <laughs> but you but you got no horses in in decathlon, right? There's no horses in the, decathlon. I am the horse. Yeah, but yeah, tell us a little about your career, Kevin, from that perspective of of uh, coming into the sport uh, as a as a Paralympian um, and and what that was like for you. Uh, I mean, you want the history of all the sports, or or my experience coming in from just entering archery i mean because we tie it up because i think that there's relevance there you know i think that that the experiences you had in other sports certainly at least on the mental side certainly and certainly partly the physical side probably gave you some advantage yeah so you know growing up i played lots of team sports um i you know i played even played basketball i was horrible at basketball um you know now in a wheelchair people always when they meet me, they're like, Oh, do you play wheelchair basketball? Cause I guess that's the most popular wheelchair sport. And I'm like, no, I, I was horrible standing up and it didn't get better once I got in a wheelchair. So, um, but, uh, you know, played baseball, soccer, all that fun stuff. And then played high school football. Uh, I was the starting center for a little while for my high school. And, um, you know, I was a big, big kid. I was six two, like 250, 260 pounds back then. And, uh, yeah, kind of went, I actually got up to close to 300 pounds, like after, um, football season there in high school. And I was like, we gotta do something about this. And so started, you know, changing my diet and getting in shape, um, dropped like a hundred pounds in less than a year. And then, um, kind of looked towards in endurance sports as my way of being able to eat the foods I wanted to eat and not get fat again. Um, so, uh, I have a big peanut butter addiction. So, um, I just started running. Um, and eventually like I kind of was ramping up and down, was doing like half marathons and marathons. Um, and then I kind of had got busy with work and was just doing, um, some light, running throughout the week, you know, maybe, you know, three miles here and there, stuff like that. And then, uh, one of my friends wanted to do a marathon and I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. And it was in like, I don't know, like less than two months away. And I just started training like crazy, you know, as smart people do. And then, uh, injured my feet, you know, got some plantar fasciitis going and basically makes your feet hurt a lot. Um, and had to stop running, but I still wanted to do stuff. So I, I bought a bike and started riding with some of my buddies, you know, the weekly, uh, Saturday morning rides and all that. And then kind of added some, some rides during the week and got, got pretty fast on the bike. Um, and you know, at that point then I was like, well, I can run decently and now I'm a pretty strong cyclist. So I might as well learn how to swim. And, uh, become a triathlete uh, I thought that'd be a cool adventure to go on and so yeah I was I was doing that you know waking up swimming at like four in the morning before I'd go to work and 
um, then, you know, come home and either run or cycle after work. And uh, it was July 3rd. So the Friday before the 4th, uh, everybody had off of work that Friday. And we went for, you know, our big group ride. And uh, that's how, that's the day I got injured. Um, I was out kind of ahead of the pack. Um, and yeah, a guy driving like a, a pickup truck just didn't see me and like drove right through me doing 60 plus miles an hour and it was a hit and run so i sort of once i sort of realized what happened and like why i was laying in the ground uh there was no nobody around it was kind of like off in the foothills of los angeles county and like very low traffic road all that so i was just kind of laying there going well this is not good and i hope my uh I hope my buddies on the bikes show up before I start like passing out or losing consciousness or whatever. And, uh, so yeah, they, they got to me, they got, you know, medical services there. I got airlifted to USC, you know, did 10 days in the hospital in, in the ICU. And then I did another couple months of rehab at a rehab hospital. Um, you know, and then, post like getting my life back together after learning how to be a wheelchair user all that i um got challenged to attempt ironman kona in 2012 and i thought you know this was 2011 so i'd been injured for two years and i was like there's no way that i'm gonna be able to put that together you know but i i started riding my hand cycle and you know i laid down a a hundred mile ride. And I was like, well, I didn't die doing that. So maybe I can figure this out in a year. And, um, so I just started training for that and, you know, really getting after it and qualified for Ironman Kona. There's only in the, they call it the hand cycle division. So like, no matter what your disability is, if you use a hand cycle for the bike portion, you're considered a hand cycle athlete. So, um, there's only, two slots that you can earn in the States, at least when I did it, I don't know how they do it now. Um, so I had to come in first or second in the qualifier to earn it. And I got second place. Yeah. Then I kind of thought, well, that's enough of that. And I started skiing recreationally. I, um, I happened to be at Mammoth when the, the, the para national team was skiing there for a camp and they're like, Hey, like you should come hang out with us. Maybe we can teach you some stuff and, you know, and I was like, sure, sounds fun. And by the end of that, they invited me to a summer camp at Mount Hood. I was skiing pretty horrible compared to everybody on the team, but, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a, a total lost cause, I guess. And so they invited me out to, to come to Aspen and, you know, live out there and train with the team on a full-time basis. And I did it and uh, I moved out to Aspen in like October of 2013 and I lived there from 2013 to 2017 uh skiing you know for for most of those years I, I definitely skied over 200 days all those years and more probably closer to over 250 to 300 days on snow um and yeah got I made it to the world cup level in uh giant slalom and super g 
and I went to um, para alpine skiing world championships in it was like January or February of 2017. So um, somewhere along that line, I'd picked up archery just as fun. And, uh, you know, I was volunteering at Craig hospital, which is a huge, uh, spinal cord injury rehab facility here in Denver, Colorado. And, you know, I was, uh, just hanging out, volunteering, like mentoring patients, like how to, you know, how's life look after you become injured and like, how do I get in my truck or how, you know, I'd bring in my mountain bike and show them that stuff, or I'd bring in my mono ski or, you know, show them video of me skiing or just any of the stuff I'd been doing, um, just to kind of give people an idea that their life isn't going to be the most horrible thing ever now that they're injured and that they can, you know, still get out there, do cool stuff, like be an active member of society, all that fun stuff. Um, and one of the other volunteers like invited me to go to this archery range and go shoot after, you know, just an indoor range that was five miles down the road. And I was like, yeah, it sounds like fun. And, you know, just was shooting the little, Samick Sage, Rendell Bow, and he's a, a compound shooter. So he's just like, you know, shooting like 298s, 99s. And I'm, I'm sitting there like trying to keep it on paper. And I'm like, man, I really suck at this. And he's like, no, you're, you're actually pretty good for like a crappy bow that's not yours. And you've never done this before. Uh, you're doing okay. And I'm like, oh, well, that's good. And then, um, I think I was actually in 2015 and I started thinking about buying my own bow and then I broke my left finger, my left middle finger. And so I had probably shot with him like maybe five or six times different weekends. And then I broke my finger and couldn't pull back a bow because it was on my draw hand because I'm left-handed. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say for folks that don't know, you're a left-handed archer. So yeah, it's obviously a problem. Yeah. And so I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to like, it was bad. Like I dislocated the, the second joint and, uh, you know, kind of really messed up that joint. And so I didn't think I'd maybe ever be able to shoot again. And then, you know, my hand surgeon sort of gave me all this rehab stuff to do. And he's, you know, he's like, keep stretching it and flexing it and all this stuff, like as often as you can. And like, uh, it was a couple, you know, it was 2017. I, was, I remember I was like sitting at a stoplight in my truck, sort of stretching it and flexing it against my steering wheel and like the knuckle cracked. And I was like, like a normal good knuckle pop, you know, and I was like, huh, that's the first time that's happened in two years. I'm like, I wonder if it's like good enough to try to shoot archery again. And, uh, so I went and shot and I'm like, yeah, it's, it's still kind of weak, but it, it, it's good enough to work. Um, so then I started shooting. I was probably April of 2017. And uh, I was moving from Aspen down to Denver. At that point, I was still planning on moving back up to Aspen for the ski season, the following season. Um, but, you know, I, I found my own. I found a used uh, Ion X at a shop down here. And I ordered some limbs from Lancaster Archer. Like, I had no clue. You know, I'd only been shooting like whatever, a 20, 25 pound little rental bow. So I didn't know what sort of draw weight I could manage on a recurve. And um, so I just ordered some, I think they were like 32 or something pound limbs. And I was shooting those and it was 
way too light for me. Um, and then I found a coach, you know, I looked up, found like a level four coach out here in Colorado, started working with him. He's like, it looks like that bow was like nothing for you. And I mean, I, I have a 31 inch draw length. So I was probably pulling close to 40 pounds or something like that. 38, 40 pounds. And so I got some new limbs, got up to, you know, something that looked like, uh, was actually, you know, a good weight for me and all that. Um, he helped me work on some ideas, how to, you know, build a better sort of wheelchair to sit in. Um, my chair is kind of unconventional because I took the bucket from my mono ski and just mounted it to my wheelchair. So, you know, the support that the bucket provides while you're skiing is like pretty phenomenal. And, you know, the, the bucket is kind of like a ski boot for, you know, us, cause that's what we're using to move the ski as our body. And, um, so you could think of like cramming your whole butt and lower back into a ski boot and like, it just won't move. So that's what I was looking for. So I could, you know, hold as steady as possible. And yeah, started shooting and the first, you know, the, the local club was holding, uh, they would hold a tournament, a local tournament, but the week before each USAT event. So that way the, you know, the kids going to the USATs would have sort of like a warm up event for their USAT. And I forget which it must've been before SoCal was the one that I did, I guess. Um, cause it was in June. And so that was my first time ever competing like in an archery tournament. And I, um, I probably had been shooting at 70 meters for maybe a week before that. And I still have the, the scorecard from that event. I shot a 414, um, that June of 2017. And then it was like July or maybe even August when the trials for the world champs team was going to be. And they were having a, a classification event there. So, um, right. That's how for people who don't know in all para sports, not just archery, you have to get classified. Like you have to submit medical documentation that says like, this is your disability. And like, this is your level of function, you know, which can be either pretty for me, it's a little more complex because I'm a spinal cord injury, but you know, for athletes that like Mike, Matt Stutzman, he just shows up and they're like, yeah, you have no arms. Like we can see <laughs> that. Um, so, you know, they have to do some testing. Like they put you on a, a balance table and sort hold of on, test your mold. Hold on. Matt Stutzman doesn't have any arms. Like they're okay, invisible. Carry on. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so then, uh, you know, I, that was the whole goal of me going to the trials event was I just wanted to get classified so I can compete as a para archer. And, um, my coach, uh, was like, well, if you're going to go, we might as well have you go and, you know, trying to make the team, you know, not just going to show up and hang out. And I was like, you think there's a way I can make this team? And he's like, well, if you work hard enough, why not? And I'm like, I guess. Well, you know how he to do was that. Really, That's proven. <laughs> right. Uh, he was uh, pretty bent on trying to get me to quit skiing and shoot archery full time because uh, he thought I had some uh, 
you know, the, the chance of more success in archery. And I was like, I don't know, man, I really like hanging out in Aspen. It's a fun place to be. Um, For sure. And uh, so I was like, well, if I make this world champs team, then I'll quit skiing. How's that? And he's like, all right, good enough for me. And so then I, you know, set up, I'm pretty sure I bought a whole new bow set up. Like I got a factor, um, factor HP with the X toward limbs. And I got, you know, a set of X tens and, um, got everything as good as I could for my skill level at that point. And, um, I went out shot and I, I, you know, I took third there. Like, uh, I forget how like qualified versus what I did in the round robins, but I remember it was kind of close between me and another athlete. And, you know, uh, at that point, Randy Smith was the, the head coach. And when they were announcing the team and they said my name, I was like, huh, that's kind of cool. Um, and I always, uh, so I, I tell Eric Bennett that it's his fault that I got so committed to archery because if he had shown up, it'd be highly unlikely that I would have made that team. <laughs> um, and so I probably would have at least ski raised another season. Um, and yeah, but he was, he was taking that year off, you know, after Rio and all that he had, you know, he works full time and it's a, it's a big commitment for him to shoot all these events. And so he was taking that year off and, uh, it worked out, you know, I got addicted even more at that point. Now I'm fully invested in the sport. You know, I'm pretty all or nothing type of guy anyways, but this made it like never have guessed. E yeah. Even, even clear to me that this is a good idea for me to pursue this sport. And then, um, I think, I did my first, I can't remember if nationals was before or after champs that year. Cause champs was pretty late, but I don't remember when nationals was, but that was, that was the, uh, the second year at Indy, those nationals when Joe ad and senior nationals were combined and it was just the windiest day in the world. And I was stoked because the, uh, I, I had one miss that day, but <laughs> The, the mist I shot was I was at full draw and a gust of wind blew me so hard. I didn't know where I was spatially. And then it sort of stopped and I was holding on target, like on the tendering. And I'm like, oh, this seems good. And I just, you know, put it through the clicker and let it go. And like, I thought it was awesome. And then I looked down in my scope and I'm like, I don't know where that arrow went. I'm like, I saw it hit the target though. I'm like, whatever. And I shot, you know, five more arrows. And then my agent goes down scores and comes back and is like you shot a 10 on the target next to yours <laughs> <laughs> saw that coming oh, yeah man. and i was like oh perfect um so but yeah that was a crazy event and then um then yeah we went out to beijing and that was my first time in asia and you know the team i qualified per you know individually like not great i mean i didn't plan on being great but somewhere right below the middle of the field and um then i think tim palumbo also qualified not very awesome because he had he had some staph infection or something along those lines and but he did he had no clue and so he shooting six arrows at a time he would get like kind of tired or something and not his last couple arrows were garbage 
But then when we started shooting the team rounds, he could get two arrows off, no problem. And so he was drilling it and I was able to keep it at least near the gold, if not in it. And then Michael Lukow was shooting well and we just kept like winning matches and going on. And I remember like for the semifinal match, like it was so dark, we could barely see the target. Like they're like bringing out flashlights to do the scorecards and stuff. I'm like, this is great. <laughs> like, uh, and yeah, so we went on, then they had, you know, the, the metal matches the next day in the finals venue. And, um, unfortunately we lost to Russia in the gold medal match, but it was, uh, it was definitely a blast. Like, to get you know my first event to go to somewhere that has a nice finals venue like that and everything that world champs has and to be able to make it to that and you know um kind of pave the way for what i wanted to do like right if i go to an archery event i always want to be the one shooting in that finals venue you know going for the medal and seeing my big face on the jumbotron and you know all that fun stuff so um it's certainly yeah. more fun than shooting arrows at home practicing. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of addicting. It's absolutely, you know, arrows under pressure are more fun to shoot for me. And it's I shoot a lot. I mean, you could ask anybody on the team. Um, I if we have camps or something like that, like I'm out there 300 to 400 arrows a day, you know, and um it's, it's just what I'd love to do. And so, but when it matters and your heart rate gets going and the bow's not holding quite as still as it often does, you're like, all right, this is exciting. Like, how can we, how can we make this, uh, work out for me? And, uh, yeah, it's, I, it's one of the things I, I tell people, they ask me, you know, keys to my success. And I'm like, I compete as often as I possibly can. Like, I want shooting arrows in competition to be like practice for me. So I compete. I mean, I started this sport pretty late, right? Like there's a lot of people that have millions of more arrows through the bow than I have, and I need to catch up to them. Right. And so, you know, that's why events like, you know, going out to the rumble or going out to the roundup and, you know, shooting Vegas and shooting like any, any little star feeder that I can around my house, you know, or shooting even league nights at my local range, you know, anything that's, whether it's like competing for, you know, who buys the beer at the end of the night or competing for a gold medal at the Paralympics. Like I take competition seriously, you know, I don't want to be the one who is losing. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the definitely, story. That's the journey. And it got you, it got you to Tokyo and you kind of followed some of the same pattern that you had in some of the other events where you kind of finished more or less mid pack 17th, I think was your qualification round in Tokyo. And then you just started wearing them out. Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely surprising for me, like how poor I qualified. I didn't, I had been shooting fairly well all week and then, you know, it was a gusty day, that venue. I mean, we saw from the Olympics that it wasn't going to be kind of record-breaking scores. Um, and there was a couple guys shot pretty well there. And then there was like this big clump of people from like 8th to like 20th or so. Like we were all kind of within 10 points of each other. 
And there was from like 16th through 10th, I think those guys were all tied at the same score, you know, something like that. There was four or five people all the same, same exact score. Um, and so I was able to, I mean, cause if that could have gotten in my head and kind of been depressing, you know, you're like, geez, I worked all this hard and that's how I show up and shot. But I just kind of looked at it like, I mean, I'm not insanely, it's not like I'm a hundred points off them. And it's like, it was very windy. The, the field conditions were variable from, I was at almost the very center of the field. And as you got to the right and left sides of the field, um, there was bigger walls that they had built for the venue that were sort of shielding the wind from, you know, archers all the way on the sides of the field. So, um, I kind of just looked at that, like, and I didn't look at it as a way to complain about my score, but I just looked at the evidence I had saying like, yeah, these guys shot higher scores. Some of them were over right next to that barrier. So I'm like, yeah, we saw, the probably... same, we saw the same thing during the actual games uh, of Tokyo, the, the Olympic games, where uh, if you were in the middle of the field, you did not have an advantage. You know, that was definitely, uh, there's been some analysis done on that. And clearly there was a uh, effect on the field there. And so, uh, you know, you took the right attitude, though, and, you know, it paid off because your first match wins 7-3. Then you find yourself against the top seed, the fellow from India, Mr. Rahimi, and uh, found yourself in a draw. You're in your first shoot off in, in a situation like that. Uh, what was that like for you? That was so I didn't really look at the brackets before that day. I, I knew the time I had to shoot and that was about it. That's all I cared about. And so when I was shooting uh, in my second match, I didn't know he was the number one seed really until Crispin announced it on the field. He's like, you know, and he's seeded number one. And I was like, oh, that's him. I'm like, sweet. So if I win this, I'm going to steal his bracket and things would be great. Uh Um, And, you know, for for some reason. This happened, I believe, three times because. I was never picking if I got to shoot first or second or picking my target since I was ranked so low, right? Everybody else was getting that option. He chose to shoot second. So when it came down to shooting that one arrow shoot off, I was just like, yeah, just like get it back, make a good shot and see what happens. And, you know, dead center X is what happened. You absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was half an inch off the spider. So when I let go of that arrow, I knew it was pretty darn good. And then when it, when it popped up on the jumbotron, like half an inch off the X, I was like, Oh yeah, this is mine. I'm like, good luck. Like, um, and he shot, you know, a nine that was just out of the 10, I believe. And so that sealed it. And I, I was just like, okay, we can, I just, I just kept having fun. Like I didn't, I didn't look at it as like, Oh, I need to win gold or I need to do this. I was just looking at it. Like I get to keep shooting archery. Like I was, I was just having a blast, like being my goofy self, you know, like, um, and having fun. The, the thing that happened prior to that match, I I'd shot my first match at say one o'clock in the afternoon. I was the last match of the morning session. And then, so I took a break because I wasn't shooting again till like 6 p.m. or 5 or six, something like that late in the evening or late in the afternoon. And um, so I came back out maybe an hour or so before my match to the, the practice field, like 
the general practice field, not the, not the lanes that they had reserved for people who were about to go on to the finals venue. And I was shooting. And then I was like, they're probably about to call me over to like the warm up area for the finals venue. And so I, I grabbed my bow, I started heading over that way. And I looked at my, my knocks and my, my knock points. And I was like, that looks a little fuzzy on my top knock point. And I'm like, that's not ideal. And I kind of, you know, twisted around in my finger and it just came unraveled. And I was like, not good timing. And so I, um, I yelled at MJ Rogers, who was going to be my coach for my match. Like, go to my locker and get my serving, like, and run back out and meet me over here. I'll be at this table. Like, he goes and does that. And it's dark now. And I uh, I have MJ and George Riles, like, holding their their phones up for flashlights so I could see what I'm doing as I'm tying this knock point. And, uh, you know, I kind of tie on my knocks and then squish them into place. So sometimes I don't nail it you know, exactly on the first time. And so I'm like, I hope this one comes out perfect because I don't have time. And I got that tied. And I thought I'd have a, an end or two on the warm up sort of range. And so I start heading over there. But I don't know if the match ahead of me had like finished quick or something like that. Like if the guy six o six owed him. But as I was going to the warm up range, they're like, USA, it's time to go to the ready room. And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, I'm like, well, here we go. And we go over there. So I wasn't able to shoot that bow after tying on that knock, but that was the bow I had the most confidence in at that point. So I still wanted to go with that bow. Um, you know, they call me out to the, the shooting line and they introduce us and, um, MJ had both my bows back by the coach's box. And then he walks up with, at that point, what I was considering my backup bow. And I'm like, no, man, the, the black bow. And he's like, just looks at me like sort of with, you know, the stern coach's look. He's like, you mean that one you just tied that knock point on? I'm like, yeah, it's going to be great. Great moment of uh, anticipation and anxiety when I was getting ready to shoot that first arrow. I was like, oh, please just, please just hit the target, like in the red at least. So now you're headed to the gold medal match and you're up against a guy from China who had just taken out uh, our four-time Paralympian and friend Eric Bennett in the one-eighth round in a really close match. So now you're, you're the man looking for revenge for Team USA. You're in the gold medal match. The stakes are, they don't get any higher than this. And you're in a big lead of 4-0. And then your opponent starts fighting back. What's going through your mind? Um... I was just focused on me. Like I was not paying attention to the, what scores he was shooting. Um, you know, obviously Crispin was announcing each arrow and he was giving his commentary to the stadium there. And I was not listening to that at all. The only, um, the only thing I was focusing on was I would, I would visualize what I wanted my next shot to feel like while he was shooting right so i would i would sit there and kind of close my eyes and visualize my arrow you know my shot breaking with good form and my arrow going and hitting a 10 ring right i was i was sort of focused on that and i was actually using like his clicker as triggering my clicker in my brain so that that's how my shot felt and looked right and so 
and then that way I didn't have to really pay attention to the clock because I knew once he shot, then I was just shooting my arrow as I just visualized it. So that's, that's mostly what I focused on. And then in between uh, sets, MJ would come over and we'd kind of sort of uh, joke a bit. And, you know, I'm just me. I'm, I'm, I'm a very serious person and I take things I go after very seriously, but I'm a very uh, calm, relaxed and sort of uh, I joke around a lot. And so um, I'm sitting there, MJ would come over. I'm like, MJ, you need to simmer down. You look pretty nervous back there. I know this is your first, I know this is your first games and all. And he would just giggle, you know, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, and uh, then, you know, I'd get my arrows and we'd go right back to shooting. So, and for those who don't I, know, MJ has been around since Moses was in little league. So you've got yourself, you got yourself a highly experienced guy back there, but he does have a great sense of humor. It helps. Yeah, it was, uh, it was great, you know, and, you know, I don't know how it came across uh on the stream but it was from you know some some light drizzle to like a downpour that yeah gold definitely you see it was raining it was uh it was more of a drizzle for that match but it was kind of you know i'd be in the ready room and staring out the out the door just looking at the rain kind of guessing on if i wanted to adjust my sight you know if it was uh it was a downpour on my last match. And then uh, my next match, it was really calm. I would, you know, I'd move my side up because I'm like, I'm probably going to hit a couple rings high. Um, and, you know, sometimes I guess not really perfect because uh, I remember one of my ends, you know, where was my first arrow, I think I opened up with like a high, like seven, eight line or something. I was like, oh, needed a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, – we didn't have a ton of wind. There was like some light wind challenge, you know, in that venue, it's just kind of weird. Um, and you would get a little left and a little right. So it was, it wasn't consistent, but it also wasn't a big win. So it, it wasn't like going to blow you three or four rings. Um, but when you're trying to keep them all in that 10 ring, uh, you know, any little bit of information and adjustment matters. So, um, but yeah, that match, like winning that match, it was so, I mean, it came down to a line call that, uh, you know, I, he had shot a 10, 10, eight and I had shot a, what appeared to be a, a 10, nine liner and then, uh, two nines. And so, cause I wasn't really keeping track of where I was, you know, I hear Kristen say, oh, and it's going to come down to this line call. Or, or when I let go of my last arrow, you know, Crispin was saying either 10 or 9 to win. I forget what it was. And then it was down to that line call. And I, um, I'm just, like, looking back at MJ. I'm like, did I get it? Like, is it in? He's like and, – and all throughout the rest of the matches, he was pretty confident about, about any line call that I had or any line call that my opponent had. And – so he's kind of staring at it. He's like, well, and, you know, he he was being a good coach because he didn't want to tell me I won the thing uh, when I had not. So um, George Riles was agenting for me. So as as George went over to the target with the judge, um, he uh, 
you know, when the judge called it in, George gives me a little thumbs up behind his back. And so then I knew I had it. And it was just this surreal sort of uh, like, well, I just won the Paralympics. That's pretty cool, you know? (laughs) Uh, And I mean, it's none of that started really hitting me until I started. uh, I was in the ready room to go out for that match. I mean, when I won the semifinal, I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. You get to shoot another match. And then, you know, in that, in that sort of green room, I'm sitting there going like, well, like I'm getting a medal either way now. That's kind of cool. And um, so it just, you know, started to sink in, but it wasn't, I don't know. It it wasn't this huge pressure that all of a sudden got dropped on me. It was just like, yeah, you get to go out and shoot more archery and have some fun out there. So, um, yeah, well, it sounds like that's the formula for winning. Um, you know, I've got a lot of friends who are Paralympic and Olympic gold medalists. And the one thing they all have in common, Kevin, is that theme that you've been telling us about throughout this discussion, which is you got to have fun. You got to enjoy what you're doing. And I think it was pretty clear that you were absolutely enjoying yourself in Tokyo. Yeah, so it was. I mean, go ahead. Go for it, Steve. Or, uh, just the whole experience out there, everybody in Tokyo, um, super enthusiastic and supportive and happy to help and cheer you on. And, uh, you know, all the volunteers just like waving at all the buses, like, even if it wasn't the bus, they helped load up, you know, they, it was just incredible. The, uh, the enthusiasm. Yeah. Japan, they had Japan is just the best for, for events like this, you know, and it, it, the only sad aspect of it was just not having any spectators in those stands. So, uh, Absolutely. hopefully when, when we see you in Paris, uh, assuming you don't pick up some other sport <laughs> in between, <laughs> I expect the, that you'll have a full stands. The, the goal now is to at least shoot through Los Angeles and, you know, Eric Bennett is showing me that I can probably shoot longer than that. So, um, you know, I, I've still got goals. <laughs> Winning the Paralympics bumped me up to second place in the world ranking. And I, one of my goals is to be ranked number one. So I've, I've got to do better than some other people at world championships in Dubai uh, in February. But, uh, you know, the Paralympic gold medal was, was one of the goals, you know, holding all of the world records for uh you know recurve open men is also one of my goals uh eric bennett's got a tight score at the uh 18 meter round so that's going to be a a, probably the hardest one out of them all to break um and yeah i think i'm going to go to that ata shoot you know the shoot that that 25 meter round is not really popular so anytime i can get one of those in i'm going to get to it so, Absolutely. Uh, Plus, there's some cash at hand there potentially. So, uh, you know, I'll look forward to seeing you at that. Absolutely. Well, Kevin, thanks for joining us, man. It was it was really cool to see you have success there in Tokyo, and and uh, you know, just watching just watching you work through, like you said, a disappointing qualifier, and then just continue to win. That was it's inspiring to see, and you're always a fun guy to be around. So, thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, yeah. Well, if you uh, if you win the next Paralympics, we'll probably have you on again. So uh. <laughs> okay, I'll, let me put that in my calendar. 
Yeah. Sign yourself I, up. I, I'd like to I'd like to make it a little shorter interval than that, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect. A- anytime, you know. There's there's been a lot of good stuff happening in, in archery in general, and then para archery's got a lot of good stuff going on with some of these 3D shoots, some of these uh, organizations have been putting on and um I'm excited to get more people involved in archery. So um anything I could do to help that along, um, I'm excited to do it. Well, we're excited to have you representing Team USA and and just providing for such a great experience for so many people and inspiration. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah, thank you, guys. Well, there's no question Kevin Mather is not just the champion of the Paralympic Games. I, I see him as a real resource for our sport. I really do. Yes, I mean, when he's talking about, you know, working with people who have just become injured or now uh, – having to rediscover how life is going to work for him in a wheelchair, you know, that, that kind of stuff is um, immeasurable for those people. And a guy like that, you know, introducing people to archery is very powerful to me. I just, it's, it's cool to hear, hear how we, how he came to be and, and uh, you know, well, I, I see him as a poster kind of child. Maniacal. He's a little bit uh, crazy. You have to be. I mean, yes. <laughs> by the way, he didn't mention it, but he won the Los Angeles Marathon in 2012 in his wheelchair in that category. <laughs> that yeah. wasn't important enough to mention, I guess, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of stuff this guy does. You think you think that uh, you think he's just going to limit himself to just triathlon and marathon and that's Grand why slalom skiing and slalom skiing. No, he's, he's, he's you know, you said, are, is it just going to be archery or are you going to be onto something else or whatever you said? But yeah, you see a lot of these Paralympic athletes, you're like, oh, they medaled in 2012 in this event and then they changed sports, you know, because they wanted to. Sure. And because they can, you know, yeah, I, mean, it's... I could see him, you know, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I could see him doing some of the winter stuff, maybe changing wanting to do a few other events or whatever, you know, maybe not this upcoming Paralympics in 2024, but uh, who knows, you know, that he's the kind of guy who just seems like. If Unlimited can, potential. Yeah. If he can feel like he's climbed the mountain enough and one, then he might move on to another. Yeah, and, and literally climbing the mountain. I mean, he's, he's going elk hunting next week. Yeah. What a beast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, back to Yankton, uh, you know, we've got a, number one uh, quality team for the USA. Uh, You're looking at, uh, as I mentioned before, Mackenzie Brown shooting for the recurve women along with Casey Coffold, and they'll be joined for the recurve women by Gabrielle Sasai, who is uh, one of an increasingly deep pool of American women recurve shooters. There are, we were talking about this before I got off on being gruntled, right? Yes. This is where I went off the rails. Okay. So Gabrielle Sasai, I do not know her. Yeah, and I was talking to uh, Rod Menzer about her because I really don't know her either, but uh, really talented shooter. And then you've got shooters um, like Savannah Vanderweer, who is in the World Cup final this year in the compound women's category. Savannah has been seriously picking up a recurve and has been training hard with it and apparently has all of the potential to be a a top-class recurve shooter. So you know, there's, there's some progress being made there for the men. 
we've got Brady Ellison leading the team along with Matt Nofel, who was our alternate for the Tokyo Games. And they'll be joined by Jack Williams, uh, who's been doing very well this season, uh, had a good performance in Tokyo. So uh, our boys ought to, ought to bring it. For the compound men, you got defending champion Jimmy Lutz of the USA. Uh, you've also got Chris Schaff and Braden Galantine. So uh, you know, two guys there that are world champions. The third one is a World Cup champion. Uh, the USA men should be pretty solid this year, Steve. Yeah, Chris recently uh, stuck a trampoline spring through his hand on accident and oh. uh, his bow hand. But oh. he said he's he's feeling pretty – he actually he shot a 360 the other day. I think it was his first time he had picked up the bow since he went and got stitches and fixed, you know, and, and he picked it up and shot a 360 or something crazy like that. So he'll be fine. Okay. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this, he'll know if he's twerking. <laughs> right, yeah. My hand is not supposed to be here. But, you know, um, with with the Asian Games having brought Compound in, um, we've got a lot more competition now from uh, from Korea, and uh, I think it's going to be very interesting to see. The Chinese Taipei has a full Compound team as well. Uh, Turkey's going to be something to look out for. Uh, there's a number of uh, potential challengers from a number of different countries that take compounds seriously. And uh, so it's not going to be a cakewalk, even if they do have a home team of home team advantage. Uh, uh, and you don't got, forget, of course, you got Netherlands. Got and, Mike. Uh, yeah. Mike. And uh, you know, it's going to be tough, uh, but I do think it's going to be a spectacular event getting underway in just a few days. And uh, I think we'll be back, Steve, you and I at least one time before, I head off to Yankton uh, at least to talk about briefly whatever rule changes they pass or don't pass at Congress. Well, we, yeah, I mean, and I'm hanging by a thread. Yeah, I know. The world waits with bated breath, whatever that means. To see whether they have to, (laughs) you know, sell off all of their correctly used target quivers. Yeah, that market's going to die. Or adopt the field quiver. Rightfully. Universally. I wonder, you know, maybe a lot of people will just flip that quiver around, just run it backwards, left-handed, whatever. Like, yeah, I saw that on Instagram the other day. You know, there was this woman um, who I guess makes her living uh, dressing up as a character of some sort or another. And so she's on, you know, she's, she's in this image of herself and she's wearing her quiver backwards and somebody calls her out on it and she's she launches off into this 2000 word diatribe about how wrong they are but guess who's actually wrong well (laughs) Paige pierce wears her quiver she wears a a target quiver a left-handed target quiver on her right side backwards because arrows should be pointing backwards but she needs a gigantic quiver to hold 10 pounds of stuff. Well, Paige can do this because she is a trendsetter, right? I wouldn't call her that. I'll ask her, though, if she thinks she's a trendsetter. All right, Steve. Well, <laughs> I'll leave it to you to ask her that when we get to Yankton. I'll, uh, I'll bring some gear. We'll, uh, we'll see if we have time to, uh, you know, somehow sneak through another podcast during the event. And uh, looking forward to seeing you there. Let's make it happen. So, 
do we have anything else to talk about or oh yeah there's plenty to talk about are we going to or no